Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about the difference between the words historic and historical, and about how to use punctuation for pacing. The Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden, just announced that Kamala Harris is his pick for vice president, and she is the first of many things. Her father immigrated to the U.S. from Jamaica, and her mother immigrated from India, so she is both the first black woman to be on a major presidential ticket and the first person of Indian descent. And here's a piece of trivia that surprised me. According to the website 538, she's also the first person from west of the Rockies to ever be on the ticket for the Democratic Party as president or vice president. That was amazing to me. Republicans, by contrast, have nominated eight people from the West, but not the Democrats. So with all those firsts, do we call her selection historic or historical? Well, historic is the word you want to use to describe an item or event that's important or influential in history. So the right way to say it is that Kamala's selection is historic. It's definitely an important milestone in our history with all those firsts. Other historic things are historic documents like the Magna Carta, historic ruins like the Roman Forum, historic battlefields like the one at Gettysburg, and historic artifacts like the Rosetta Stone. All of these are important or famous things from the past. You know the names of all or most of those things because they were significant. Historical, on the other hand, is the word you can use to describe anything from the past, important or not. A historical event is just something that happened in the past. It doesn't have to be an event that people are going to talk about and remember as important 50 years from now. For example, Rutherford B. Hayes choosing William Wheeler as his vice president is a historical event because it happened a long time ago in 1876. But as far as I know, it wasn't historic. History buffs may set me straight, but as far as I know, nobody today talks about the groundbreaking achievements or glass-shattering importance of Wheeler's vice presidency. And just as an interesting aside, while I was looking for an especially unremarkable vice president to use as an example, I read about a lot of vice presidents and came across Charles Curtis, who was Herbert Hoover's vice president starting in 1928. He was the first and only person enrolled in a Native American tribe to ever serve as a vice president of the United States. 
His mother was one-quarter Kaw Indian, and he spoke the Kaw language and spent some time living on the Kaw reservation before getting involved in politics. Pretty cool. But getting back to things that are historical, historical documents are just documents that record things that happened in the past. Historical novels are stories set in the past. Historical artifacts could be something like scattered arrowheads you find in a field that don't tell researchers anything new about their time period. They're essentially just neat old things you found in the ground. People often use the wrong word when they're trying to choose between historic and historical, because not only did I just tell you the difference, I'm going to help you remember it with a memory trick Bonnie Mills came up with for a past article on this topic. You can remember the meanings of these two words by thinking that the word that ends with IC is important, and they both start with the letter I, and the word that ends with AL is all in the past, and those both start with the letter A. Historic is important, and historical is all things from the past. Bonnie came up with that tip in 2008, and I still use it every time I have to remember the difference between historic and historical. I'm not sure if it qualifies as a historic tip, but more than a decade later, it feels historical to me for a podcast. Next, you may have noticed that I've been saying ahistoric and ahistorical. Because the choice between a and an is determined by the sound at the beginning of the next word, I agree with Bill Walsh, a former copy editor at the Washington Post and author of multiple language books. Although he pointed out that British people pronounce historic as historic without the H, and some Americans do too, he argued that the majority of Americans pronounce the H historic, so the correct forms in most places in the United States are ahistoric and ahistorical. If you're writing in Britain or writing for an audience where the majority of people pronounce it historic, like maybe a local newsletter for Bostonites, feel free to use an instead, an historic event. Fowler's Modern English Usage, a British style guide, for example, recommends using an. And I just singled out Bostonites because I had a professor from Boston who didn't pronounce his H's at the beginning of certain words. Things were definitely historical to him. And we were also all humans instead of humans. (laughs) I first realized how contentious this topic is when I was out on my first book tour. I read a bit from my book and then answered people's questions, and I don't remember what city I was in, but at one stop, when I answered a question about ahistoric versus anhistoric and said essentially what I just told you, an older woman in the back of the room stood up, shook her fist at me, and walked out. It was wild. But I remain steadfast in my belief that there's nothing special about the words historic and historical, and they should follow the same rules as every other word when it comes to choosing between A and an. So if you pronounce them with the H, you should write about a historic event and not an historic event. And ugh, that's even hard for me to say with the an. So to sum up, something historic is important, and something historical is all in the past. If you're an American writing for a broad audience, you should use the article A and write about a historic event and a historical novel. And if you're British, you should probably use the article an and write about an historic event and an historical novel. (laughs) 
Next, I have a segment by Edwin Battistella about using punctuation for pacing. Ernest Hemingway is famous for his use of short sentences to build tension, as in this example from A Farewell to Arms, describing Catherine Barclay's childbirth. She won't die. She's just having a bad time. The initial labor is usually protracted. She's only having a bad time. The staccato style of the sentences builds a hold-your-breath tension. Other writers pack everything into a single breathless exhale— One of my favorite examples is from Brian Doyle's essay, His Last Game, writing about a drive with his brother. We drove through the arboretum, checking on the groves of ash and oak and willow trees, which were still where they were last time we looked. And then we checked on the wood duck boxes in the pond, which still seemed sturdy and didn't feature ravenous weasels that we noticed. And it goes on and on. That's just the first half of the sentence. Punctuation-wise, most of us fall between these two extremes. We're neither staccato nor breathless. Instead, we use punctuation to establish a comfortable pace for readers by grouping and emphasizing certain chunks of information. And as we edit our own work from first to final draft, we can see how small differences in punctuation come together to create larger effects. Here are two versions of a paragraph from the opening chapter of my book, Sorry About That. The section describes the encounter between Oprah Winfrey and writer James Fry after the deceptions in Fry's book A Million Little Pieces had come to light. Oprah had defended Fry at first, felt betrayed as the facts of the deception came to light, and angrily led him through his lies on her program. She later felt bad and invited him back for an on-air apology. The paragraph begins with the assertion that we share some traits with Oprah and James Fry. I'll include the punctuation where it differs between the two examples as I read it. We're all a bit like Oprah and James Fry, colon. We make mistakes, comma, misspeak, comma, mislead, comma, and misbehave. We can be inconsiderate, rude, and even offensive. Some of us lie and cheat and steal, comma, and some people kill or commit historic crimes. And here's the second example with slightly different punctuation. We're all a bit like Oprah and James Fry, period. We make mistakes, period. We misspeak, comma, mislead, comma, and misbehave. We can be inconsiderate, rude, and even offensive. Some of us lie and cheat and steal, period. And some people kill or commit historic crimes. Do you have a preference? I preferred the second version. In the first, mistakes, misspeaking, misleading, and misbehaving are all clumped together, and the colon seems to attribute all of them to Oprah and Fry. In the second, the comparison is more focused. We're like Oprah and James Fry simply because we all make mistakes. In the first paragraph, too, lying, cheating, stealing, killing, and historic crimes are all in the same sentence. But in the second version, the most serious offenses are separated from less serious ones, and the punctuation maps to the severity of the offenses. Here's another less complicated punctuation choice. When we face our transgressions, we often feel the need or are called upon to apologize. You can put that little aside or are called upon between parentheses or dashes. We often feel the need or are called upon to apologize. With parentheses, the phrase, or are called upon, is a whisper to the reader, a confidential aside. 
Dashes, on the other hand, emphasize those words, signaling the contrast between feeling the need to apologize and being called upon to do so. Commas would have been a middle-of-the-road choice, but that option would have left the intention less specific, neither an aside nor an emphatic. Finally, consider this bit. Some of us apologize well and use language to repair relationships and restore respect. Others apologize poorly and our insincerity leaves transgressions unresolved or even causes new harm. You could use a semicolon or a period where I paused when reading that. Some of us use language to repair relationships and restore respect, semicolon, or to repair relationships and respect, period. What's the difference? Well, when I use the semicolon, it can be read as imputing a closer connection to the two clauses, perhaps even a silent however. Using the period treats the sentences as standing on their own, which affords the last clause about apologizing poorly a bit more emphasis. As you revise and edit your work, remember to think about how your punctuation choices change the pace and meaning of your paragraphs and sentences. But also, don't overdo it. There's a story about the famous prose stylist Joseph Conrad that goes like this. When Conrad emerged from his study after a whole morning of writing, his wife asked what he'd done, and he said, I took out a comma. (laughs) The story is most likely apocryphal, or at least I hope it is. That segment was written by Edwin L. Battistella, who teaches linguistics and writing at Southern Oregon University in Ashland, where he served as dean and interim provost. He's the author of Sorry About That, The Language of Public Apology, as well as Do You Make These Mistakes in English? Bad Language, and The Logic of Markedness. Finally, I have a familect story about money. Hello, Mignon. My name is Jeffrey Sharp from California. I just listened to your episode on money. And I do have both a familect and example of money being used in the singular. It comes from my wife's family. She's not with me in the car right now, so I have no idea where I came from. But the word money came to refer to specifically a $20 bill. So if you were to give someone a money, you were to give them a $20 bill, or you might ask for two money, which would then be two $20 bills specifically. So there you go. It's just a family and not real standard English, but an example of money in the singular. Have a happy day. Thanks, Jeffrey. I was so surprised when I heard your voicemail, and not only was it a family story, but it was related to a recent episode. So thanks for calling. If you want to leave a voicemail with the story of a word your family and only your family uses, like Jeffrey did, the number is 83321-4-GIRL. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl, and if you're wanting to work some micro-learning into your days, check out my course on LinkedIn Learning. It's called Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing, and it has 17 short videos. You can watch one over coffee every morning, and in barely more than two weeks, you'll have watched the whole thing and have learned all the best tips I have about improving your writing. That's Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing at LinkedIn Learning and Lynda.com. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sams. And that's all. Thanks for listening. There's a moment you realize 
you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.